The name of the band leading us today is Zeal. Let's give it up for them, all right? <laughs> Guys, last week the questions came pouring in. If you weren't uh, with us last week, what we had was the beginning of something we're doing for these next few weeks called Questions You Never Thought You Could Ask in Church. All of us, I believe, at some level have certain questions that if we could just ask God, oh my gosh, questions that have plagued us with doubt, questions we've just always been curious about and wrestled with, maybe questions that we've been afraid to ask or even embarrassed to ask. And last week we began with the live texting. I had the chance on Monday to go through the entire list. Guys, I think I got to like 25% of the questions. So here's what we're doing for the next few weeks. What I've done is I've gone through the unanswered questions of last week. And I tried to group them around similar themes or, or movements or ideas, if you will. So next week, what we're doing is we're looking at just a, a ton of questions dealing with, with Bible and science issues, Bible and creation issues, things of that kind of nature. The week after that, August 3rd, what we're going to be doing is delving into all these questions people have just about the nature of faith and certainty and doubt and struggling with God in this world and knowing when it's him and knowing if, if the prompting I get might be of him and everything in between. And after that, we'll do a live texting event again. But what we're doing today is another group of questions, one that seemed to dominate the boards last week. It's questions on forgiveness. So guys, let's pray, and then we're going to jump on in. Lord, I, I pray, uh, make us curious. Make us curious to not just be content with, with base levels of knowledge, but to want to know you more. And God, give us a hunger to seek those, those answers out. Lord, your word says when we seek you with all of our heart, God, you'll be revealed, you'll be found. So, so create that, that hunger in us. God, give us, give us eyes and, and hearts of wonder and awe. Yeah. May our search for you and God and, and just glimpses of your grace and your goodness and your power and beauty and majesty. Give us wisdom and discernment and insight. Help us today, God, to come face to face with just how big and deep and wide your grace and forgiveness is and to figure out, God, how to live it out in this world. Lord, we pray. Amen. It worked out very conveniently. Ten questions last week that we didn't get to on the nature of forgiveness. Here's our top ten list. Let's get into it. Question one. Here we go. There has to be limits to Christ's forgiveness, doesn't there? It could really seem that way, but no. There is no limit to Christ's forgiveness. Now, we touched on this briefly last week, but it's important enough to, to recast today because the answer to this question informs everything else in this forgiveness arena. I mentioned a passage last week. Let me show it to you this week. It says this, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. 
Want more grace? Sin more. All right? I'm not sure that's really what God was intending, but it nevertheless works. The more you sin, the more grace grows. Your sin can never outpace the limits of God's grace. Is that like unbelievable or what? Maybe a little bit, but it's true. It's why Paul will write things like this. He says to this one church, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power, the ability, right? I pray that you guys have the power, together with all believers, all the saints, to do this. To do what? To grasp something. How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses all knowledge, that you may be filled with the measure of the fullness of God. What is Paul's prayer? That this church would come to grips and begin to know just how big it actually is. That doesn't come easy. If God had had to send prophets to pray for people back then, he'll do it again today. Christ's grace is limitless. Question two. So, If Christ's grace is limitless, why are we judged and or punished? Well, if you're a believer, you're not. In Christ, you are not punished or judged. For believers, your judgment has been taken away, which means the bad stuff that you may be facing in this world, the struggles or suffering that you may have, guys, you got to hear this. It is not a punishment from God. God is not striking you. God is not smiting you. That is the whole point of Jesus' death on the cross. This is what Romans 8 says. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because God sent his son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. Do you know what you do to a sin offering? You kill it. Do you know what a sin offering does? It substitutes for the sinner. It says, do to that what you should do to me. Which means all the punishment that we deserve. Jesus says, do to me what you should do to them. It's like Christ is a lightning rod. And for those who are believers in Christ, the punishment has been paid. Guys, this is why it's so important to come to Christ. Because without Christ, we do stand under the impending judgment of God. Without Christ, his wrath will be directed towards us, but in Christ, it is taken 100%. It says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that we might become the righteousness of God. It's like there's this cosmic flip that Christ takes your place and you are viewed by God as if you are him. Make sense? Question three. Follow up. So if Hitler was still alive today, uh, he would, referring to God, God would love and forgive him. Hitler is dead and buried today. And God still loves him. 
One of the most powerful and well-known passages in the Bible is John 3.16. You probably know or at least recognize the first portion, but it goes like this. For God so loved the world. Do you know what the world means in John's gospel? It's where it comes from. Sinful, fallen humanity that has rejected God or is ignorant of his ways. That sound like Hitler to you? For God so loved Hitler that he gave his one and only son. And God extends that unlimited forgiveness to everyone. I want to show you a picture here today. Recognize this man? It's Jeffrey Dahmer. Back between the late 70s and early 90s, Jeffrey Dahmer was responsible for molesting, raping, murdering, and dismembering 17 men and boys. And in some of the later cases, even delved into cannibalism. God died for this man. And if you're struggling with this today, that's healthy and good. Because it says that you still have some sense of right and wrong injustice in this world. If you're not struggling with forgiveness for someone like that today, then I ask you to question yourself this morning if you take the weight of sin and destruction and hurt in people's lives seriously enough. But out of that place, if you can't understand or come to grasp how deep and wide God's forgiveness is even for someone like this, you're not quite yet grasping how radical, how big Christ's forgiveness is. Because if Christ's grace is not scandalous, you have not yet come to approach the nature of God's grace. Because a guy like this was once a guy like this who had a mother one day with hopes and dreams, and you don't know what goes wrong. God loves the worst of the worst in this world. And he also loves you. Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote half the New Testament. He later writes this. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. To me, that's terribly good news. Question four. I fear when judgment day comes, I will be told I didn't make the cut. I struggle with the idea of earning your way to heaven by just believing versus doing. You don't have to show your hands on this, but have you ever struggled with this one? I think deep in each of our souls, there's these moments and times and patterns where we think at some level, it's still got to depend on me a little bit. The radical message of the New Testament is that the forgiveness and grace that is offered to you by God comes freely and graciously, without cost, without merit, apart from your works, your condition, or anything that you can ever do. And here's what it comes down to, guys. 
Who are you going to trust? Because this is the question where it really starts to get real. Who are you going to trust? Because your destiny hangs in the balance of this question. The Bible sets up a dichotomy. And I want to share it with you this morning. Titus will say this, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. And the Bible asks this question, do you believe it? Do you actually really believe it? Because it goes on, it says, when a man works, and think morally here, his wages are not credited to him as as a gift, but as an obligation, right? Right? You get what you deserve when you work. However, to the man who does not work, but trusts God who justifies the wicked, his faith is credited as righteous. How do you want God to debit your account? Do you want God to debit your account based on the contributions you have made to your moral bank? Or do you want Christ's black visa card. Are are you following me here? Because when we stand before Christ and when we stand before his Father someday, each of us will be exposed for who we are and the quality of our lives. When you stand there that day, do you want to say, God? Yeah, judge me on my own merit. He gives you that invitation and write if you'd like. Or do you want to stand there someday and go, Lord, count Christ's goodness and righteousness to me? There are people in this world who are afraid of making the cut and still believe that somehow what they do will get them there. That's trusting in yourself not Christ. And one of the scariest choices you'll ever make is to trust your destiny to a man who died and rose 2,000 years ago instead of taking it into your own hands today. And what happens on judgment day is determined by what happens at that moment of trust. Does it make sense? Question five. So if you're a Christian, but you die with unforgiven sins, will you uh, go to heaven? Yeah, because if you're a Christian, you don't have any unforgiven sins. See, this question, I think, is based on a misconception that forgiveness is offered because of repentance. That somehow, to be forgiven, you need to repent. Have you ever logically played that one through? I mean, think about the ramifications of that. How many times a day do you sin? You know, are you sitting here going once, twice? If you are, you don't really understand what sin is. Do you judge sin simply by what you do and don't do as a result of a condition? Who you are. Guys, you're in a perpetual state of sin. We're sinning all the time. Do we ever have a pure thought, pure motive, pure action? Is anything ever 100% completely altruistic? Can our lives go more than 20 minutes 
without our fallen nature somehow corrupting that what God intended? Hey, if you want to make your forgiveness dependent on repentance, good luck, but you know, you better get on your knees 24-7 because the day could come at any hour and you know, you don't want to be caught in like minute three. Are you with me here? (laughs) You're forgiven because Jesus died for you. You're forgiven because of his grace and it was nailed to a cross, not because you say, I'm sorry, which means you are in a perpetual state of grace and forgiveness. It's kind of like this. You get married, right? You get into a fight with your husband or your wife, right? You may have sinned against him. You may have sinned against her, but are you still married? It's the same with God's grace. We violate relationships all the time and wound each other. But, 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 but the relationship still stands, and that's how it is with Christ. Now, don't push the analogy to the nth degree going, well, I'm divorced. Okay, you know, stick with me on this, and I think you get the point. All right. It says, just as man is destined to die once, and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. Next question. How do you know if you are going to heaven when many people either believe or say that there are certain circumstances when you will absolutely go to hell? Let's circle back to a question earlier. It comes back to a matter. Who do you trust? And if God's word says you're forgiven, I don't give a rip what someone else has to say. I don't give a rip what I heard by the radio preacher. I don't give a rip what I heard in church. I don't give a rip what my mom has to say. Who are you going to trust? And if you don't know God's word well enough to know what God has to say to your condition, may I suggest something? Read it. And if you don't feel like you understand it when you read it, may I suggest something? Get into Bible study. That's why we do them. Because this isn't just a matter of trivia and arcane knowledge. It's a matter of where am I going to root my faith and why? You know, I don't know the conditions under which someone may have told you that you may be going to hell. But what I do know is this. Jesus said, your sins have been paid by me. You are forgiven. And anyone who trusts in me for that receives that forgiveness. Now, can you reject God's forgiveness? Sure. Can you say, I don't want it. I'm going to try it my own way. I'm going to stand before you, God, on my own merit. Yeah, you can. You can. Good luck with that. But that aside... What did Hebrews say? Once and for all. Question seven. Is there any sign that God will not forgive you if you believe in Jesus? No, because God will forgive you in Jesus. We talked some about those passages that that, that indicate an unforgivable sin last week. I'm not going to take time to reopen that package because I think we dealt with it last week. But I simply want to say this. It becomes so easy in life to trust in signs and omens and feelings and intuitions. 
over the sure and certain word of Christ. I remember a time in my life when God became real to me. Does that make sense? You know what I mean? Have you ever had a moment like that? It was like a shift happened from knowing lots of cool things about him and knowing the culture to, to, to a deep personalization where it did something and connected at a deep fiber of the soul level. And I remember, I remember for some of the first times in my life experiencing forgiveness. Have you ever experienced forgiveness? That when you get on your knees or when you're crying out in prayer or song and you say, Lord, I'm sorry, and and for the first time you know that those words are carrying more than just vocalization, but that there's a heart behind it that's gushing and opening and you literally like feel the wave of the Spirit hit you and there is a wash, there is a freedom, there is a catharsis. For those of you who have been there, you know what I mean. For those of you who haven't, my prayer is that you experience that someday. And I remember a time in my life feeling that, and it felt so good. But then I remember one day when I got on my knees and I said the magic words, and I didn't feel any different afterwards. And I remember going, huh, that's weird. Maybe I did something wrong. Maybe I wasn't really sincere. Maybe the spirit isn't moving here today. Have you wrestled with things like that? Have you been there? And I remember not long after that, some things spiraling out of control and being stricken with a despair and a plague and a doubt and a fear and a crying out in a primal way for God's forgiveness and not feeling just not anything, but feeling terror and convinced that I wasn't forgiven because that's what my feelings had to say. See, it's really easy to look for signs for God's spirit being on the move. And they can be wonderful gifts, but guys, you got to place your faith in something deeper than signs. Because signs are just that. They're signs, not substance. And sometimes substance is there without any sign to be found. Who are you going to trust? The things that feel and seem to lead you a certain way? Or what God and his apostles and prophets had to say? Next question, number eight. Does God think of people differently when they do bad things? I think the easiest way to approach this one is to think of God like a perfect parent. Now, for some of you, this is already a difficult step. Because some of you have grown up with parents that have been cruel, abusive, demeaning, neglectful, selfish. And I'm going to ask you to try to step beyond that towards an idealized, perfect parent like you've always hoped and dreamed. And I would encourage you to think of God that way in this question. And for those of you who are parents, this might click very easily. 
Sure, when your kids do bad things, do you think about them differently? Yeah, maybe in a way. I don't know. Let's put it like this. Do you ever get disappointed, frustrated, angry, fed up? You know what? God does too with us. He does too. I mean, let's face it. The entire Bible is a story of God getting disappointed, frustrated, angry, and fed up with these stupid kids of his that he loves so much who keep making a wreck of their lives. And any of us who have been a parent, who have seen our kids doing stupid things again and again, can taste and identify a little bit with what God must be feeling, right? But here's the thing. Despite it, he is always compassionate. He is always grace-filled. He is always in love with you. He is always pursuing you. He is always forgiving. He is always running after you. He is always opening his arms wide. He is always pursuing. God's a dude. Think about him in a personal way. Think about him as someone who's real, with a personality and a character, not as just some transcendent thought or idea that's a billion miles away. So, yeah. God does get disappointed and angry and fed up and frustrated when we do bad things. But his loyalty to you and his grace and his love for you is never trumped by it. Question nine. Yeah, right? Why does God tell his people in the Old Testament to smash their enemies' babies on rocks. Because it really doesn't feel too forgiving, does it? To stay very specific to the question here on the board, um, the answer is he doesn't. Um, Israel actually cries this out. And uh, you can find it in Psalm 137. Let me uh, give it to you here and just read it this morning. Here's what it says. Can you make that out? Now, it's the first half of the psalm. We haven't gotten to babies and rocks yet, all right? But have you made it through? What's going on here? Psalms is the songbook of Israel. It was their hymn book, if you will. These were the prayers and cries of their heart that they offered up to God. What is the context here? It says, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion. One of the most significant dates that you need to burn in your brain that happened in the Old Testament was in 587 BC. Say 587 BC. Now shout 587 BC. Now look deeply and intimately into the eyes of the person next to you and say, 580 B.C. Now wave your hands like this and say, 580 B.C. Okay, see, now you won't forget it, all right? In 587 B.C., after warning, after warning, after warning, prophet after prophet after prophet, century after century after century of Israel rejecting God disobeying him and going their own way, God raises up a foreign power, Babylon. They come in and wipe Israel out. Guys, this is beyond geopolitical maneuvering. This is suffering. This is weeping and despair. This is death. Imagine someone coming into your home, killing 80% of your family, sending the remainders to live in some country across an ocean somewhere. And imagine being there in oppression, in in, in a virtual state of slavery even. 
or at best, the life of like a refugee or a legal immigrant. And imagine while you're there that you look different, you sound different, so people know that you're different and you're not one of us, and they taunt you and they mock you, and they celebrate the day that your family was raised. That's what it was like for the people of Israel in 587 B.C., when Jerusalem was taken over by Babylon. And they said there was no more music on the poplar trees. We hung our harps. We just set them aside because our captors would taunt us and say things like, sing us one of your songs. Amuse us, dance for us, monkey boy. Look what they cry. How can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? If I forget you, O Jerusalem, I would, I would rather my hands fall off than sing for these people. Have you ever tasted suffering like that? Have you ever experienced injustice like that? Have you ever yearned for vindication like that? Can I just encourage you that if you have, you're completely human and normal? And it goes on. Remember, O Lord. Remember what the Edomites did on the day Jerusalem fell. Remember those people who were crying, tear it down, tear it down to its foundations. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he, Yahweh, who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. What I like about the Old Testament is how real it is. I've met a lot of people who have struggled with particularly an Old Testament God who seems to exhibit violence and wrath and destruction on occasion again and again. But what I've always resonated with personally in the Old Testament is that the stories are not whitewashed. And human emotion is not whitewashed. It is not a collection of pithy little sayings that we put on our hallmark day-by-day calendars to make us feel a little saccharine happy in the morning. The Bible is interested in the stories of real people who are dealing with real darkness and real evil and real injustice in this world, and it captures their heart and their songs and their feelings and their emotions. And I will tell you guys, the thirst for revenge and justice and vindication is a very normal human emotion. And that's here what you're saying. And I'll tell you what I love about this psalm. It says to me that I can come before God and I can tell him anything. I can reveal the dark places of my heart. I can cry out to him that which I truly want and not be afraid of what he might think of me. I can come to a God who gets me in my twisted, dark, vindictive array. Entrust my cry for justice to him. Next question. I I put this in here as well uh, before I move on. Do you know what this statement is? 
This actually comes from Revelation, and it's a, it's a vision. It's a picture of Christians who have lost their life, who have been martyred for their faith, crying out in heaven, How long, O Lord, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Even the people in heaven know what it's like to cry for that. And God gets them. Question 10. All right. Let's culminate this one with the one that I think we've all struggled with. When is it okay to say, I forgive you, but enough is enough? One of the hardest things you can ever do in this world is forgive someone who has hurt you deeply. One of the absolute most difficult things in this world can be to forgive another human being. And I think what often makes it more difficult is that there are certain misconceptions that we attach to this notion of forgiveness. And what I'd like to do on this final question is dispel just a few of these this morning. Number one, forgiveness does not equal meekness and passivity. I was having a conversation just recently with someone who who kind of finally came to a point of going, you know, I really believe that Jesus was a wimp and a coward because he didn't fight back. Do you know how much more strength it takes to turn the other cheek than to hit back? You know, You hit me, I can hit you back right away and maybe end the fight in one punch right there. I turn the other cheek, I make myself vulnerable, don't I? To be hurt again. Do you know how much internal control it takes? You don't have to think further back than the civil rights movement or what happened in India with with, with the people of Gandhi. Both Martin Luther King and Gandhi adopting their methodology from Jesus to see what kind of strength and courage there is in turning the other cheek. Forgiveness does not mean being a wimp. Forgiveness does not mean being passive. Forgiveness does not mean being a doormat and going, well, that's okay, I'm not worth much, just keep beating on me. That is not the point. It is defiance. It is defiance in the face of evil saying, you strike me with evil and I'll stand here. You want to do it again? Number two, forgiveness does not equal zero consequences. A lot of people think that because they they forgive, you know, that, that no further action is done. I think this is the biggest misconception we have with each other and with God. Guys, do you realize that despite the fact you are forgiven 100% by God, that he still wants you to make it right? You know, God ain't content for you to just get on your knees and say, oh Lord, forgive me, and then walk away from the havoc that you've created. And in this world, we will face 
consequences, and it is right to hold other people to consequences despite forgiving them. You know, it's like the guy who cheats on his wife and runs away and divorces his family and comes to a place very sincerely where he says, I understand now how I hurt you, and I understand now that, 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 that I've wounded you, but you know this child support payment is just killing me, so if you forgive me, you need to walk away from that. Nah. There's consequences to our actions in this world, and that means that even though God forgives you, he will often let you bear the consequences of your sin as well. You know, sleep around, pick up an STD, come to a place where you go, God, I realize that my lifestyle was wrong. You know what? He might not take away that STD. Develop a drinking problem, get in a car, become a slave to addiction, smash into a tree and become a paraplegic. You might come to a place of going, God, I realize that I've given my life to a bottle or to a pill instead of to you. God is going to forgive you. Doesn't mean he's going to make you walk again that day. Forgiveness does not mean erasing all consequences. Number three, forgiveness does not equal reconciliation. You understand these are two different things. Forgiveness is a unilateral act. I can forgive you despite anything you say or do. I can forgive you despite any, any sign that you might reciprocate. I can forgive you if you never say, I'm sorry. I can forgive you if you're dead. I can forgive you if you still hate my guts and don't forgive me. Forgiveness takes one. Reconciliation takes two. And reconciliation is when two come together and find peace and wholeness and harmony again. And does God want that? You bet he does. But what he commands you to do is to forgive. And sometimes forgiving someone does not equate to saying, so let's start having coffee again. You can forgive someone and go your separate ways, and sometimes that is the healthiest thing in the situation. And finally, number four, forgiveness does not equal forgetting. I mean, it just doesn't. I don't know where to go any farther with that. You can forgive someone and still remember. And not in just some kind of detached, clinical kind of way. You can emotionally remember. You can remember and it can still be filled with hurt, with anger, with disappointment. But you can still forgive. Because forgiveness at some fundamental level, is not an emotion as much as it is a choice and an act of the will. And forgiveness, more often than not, is a daily occurrence, something you need to do again and again and again, as opposed to a once-and-for-all decision that you've made that settles the matter never to haunt you again. There is a place in this world to say, I forgive you. But enough is enough. Because forgiveness does not tolerate wrong. Ten questions on forgiveness. 
10 questions tapping at the heart of the fundamental message of what God wants us to understand about his nature, his relationship with us and ours with each other. And and, and my prayer, guys, is that you learn to embrace how wide, how deep, how vast God's forgiveness is and learn what it means to make it as a defining mark of your life. Let's rise and pray.